Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. So good to see you. Why don't we just pray together? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it, the truth of it. And God, we just recognize, God, this moment, what you're doing in our hearts, what you're doing in the church, what you're doing in individual believers' lives, family lives. And we just come into agreement by faith, Lord, that no weapon formed against your word will ever prosper. That, Lord, your word will remain for all eternity. And Father, we just open up our hearts now to receive of your word. Come and transform our hearts by renewing our minds. I pray, Father, for the spirit of faith to rise in our hearts as we hear your word today. And that, God, we would see the miraculous break out in this room. Oh, God, out of this room into our everyday lives. I pray, Father, this would be a day where truly miracles are normal. And God, where you show yourself strong. I'm praying, Lord, that right now, and even as I preach, that sick bodies will be healed in Jesus' name. Cancers will be gone in Jesus' name. Diseases will disappear in Jesus' name. I'm praying, oh God, for a spirit of prophecy to invade this room right now, that Holy Spirit, you would begin to speak clearly into people's hearts, bringing clarity, direction, alignment, insight, oh God. We are open and we are hungry, oh God. Lord, that people will receive their breakthroughs in their practical everyday affairs of life, oh God. Why? Because, Lord, we believe and therefore we obey. And so, God, come. Make us more aware of your presence right now. We just commit every person, every situation, every need, every challenge, every issue to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Awesome. Why don't you take your seat? Just want to update you uh, on the vision offering. Thank you for everyone who's already pledged or participated or given to that. Thank you so much for your generosity. I would ask that you continue to pray if you haven't yet um, pledged or been a part of our vision offering. We've just got around a million dollars given so far, so we praise God for that, and we thank you for your contribution to that. That amount is right across all of our church locations. We still have a fair way to go, so uh, if you can just keep um, praying with us and being a part of generously sowing into uh, the vision of the church, we're going to see every part of this vision realised. So good to be back with you. You look amazing. Last weekend, we launched our first interest meeting of Numa Perth. Last Sunday night, we had 33 people attend that. And tonight at 4 p.m. Perth time, the first Numa Perth life group is starting. And we will build up over the year through to an official launch in January 2021. So please be praying for Jason and Livia. Uh, they're still here in Melbourne, but we've got people on the ground already starting, so we praise God for that. We are looking at our Kingdom Culture series currently, and today we're talking about miracles are normal. And so why don't you look to the screen for our uh, clip. Yeah. 
The culture around us has a hunger for the supernatural, but often looks for it in all the wrong places. Unfortunately, throughout history, the church has often misrepresented the reality of God's power to the surrounding culture. We have been created in the image and likeness of a supernatural God, and yet when we don't exercise the power of God resident inside of us, we present to the world an inferior view of who God is. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The crucial question we must continually ask ourselves, is the supernatural a part of my daily experience? Okay, so a great question. Why don't you turn with me to Acts chapter 3, and I'll read uh, from verses 1 to 10. I wonder how you're going with uh, your Bibles. Does anyone bring their Bibles to church? Um, I encourage you to do so. If you don't, you can go to our resource centre, make life really difficult for Barb who's our manager of our resource centre, buy a Bible, uh, get your hands on one, bring it along to church, and uh, let's read along together. In Acts chapter 3, verse 1, it's the first major miracle that's recorded in the early church. And it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask money of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms or money, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk." And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms or money, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him." Miracles are normal. Just that statement alone is um, countercultural and is very challenging for some of us who may be skeptical or may rest upon logic and reason alone to guide our lives. But the Bible speaks of a relationship with God where miracles become the norm, not the exception. And it's what we're all called to and it's what we must contend for. Um, a lady by the name of Evelyn, who is a medical doctor, she in fact is a part of our congregation at our West location and she, uh, last year when I was preaching there on one Sunday, at the end of the service she gave her heart to the Lord and her kids have been praying for her for quite a period of time and uh, she surrendered her life to Christ and she came down at the end of the service and asked for prayer. She'd recently been diagnosed with cancerous tumours in her body. And there was a tumour the size of a golf ball in her neck and another tumour on her shoulder. And being a medical doctor, she understood the severity, the impact, the consequences of this and was about to undergo treatment. But before she went into treatment, she asked to receive prayer. And we anointed her with oil, my wife and I and her kids. And we prayed and believed in Jesus' name that she would be healed. It was a simple prayer. The power is not in the formula of the prayer, but in the spirit of faith you bring to the prayer. And so it was just a few months later when she attended our revival nights, which is coming up in just a few weeks, 
where she came up to me and she said, I was a skeptic, but now I'm a believer. And that was music to my ears. I'm like, tell the story. And so she began to unpack this whole story. And soon after the prayer, she felt that something was different in her neck, went back to her specialist and asked for a test. And the test came back clear. There was no tumour in her neck and there was no tumour on her shoulder. And praise God. But she didn't believe it. You know, we're celebrating now, but she didn't believe it. So she said, test it again, scan it again. And they did the test three or four times. All of those tests came back clear. She said, I was a skeptic, but now I'm a believer that miracles are normal. You see, God never intended miracle stories to entertain us, but to actually inspire us to go get our own stories. There comes a point where you've got to stop reading about miracles in books and hearing testimonies as wonderful as they are and you've got to go after your own because all of us face moments in our life we face gaps crises we face issues and needs where we actually need miraculous intervention of heaven in our lives and every miracle is an invitation to believe for our own and every miracle is a declaration of the power of God in the earthly realm and when we can connect with and engage with miracles. And when we see them break out, we realize that we're not just left to our own devices. We, we are not just here trying to do life in our own strength, but we're in relationship with an almighty or powerful God who has answers for human problems. Now, all of us have been to a restaurant. We've ordered a meal off that menu. And sometimes you go to a restaurant like I have at different times and you look at the menu and you pick certain things off the menu and, and all of us, maybe once at least in our lives, we've had a waiter or a waitress say to us, oh, we've run out of that today or we're no longer serving that. I remember being at one restaurant where they said three times uh, that the, the food items I was selecting is not on the menu. Very frustrating process. And so you're like, will you tell me what I can eat today? Because clearly three strikes and you're out. And so, you know, it, it, it can be frustrating like that. But there is a brand of Christianity and there are some Christians in the church, in the wider church, who believe that miracles died out after the first century, that miracles died out at the end of the apostolic age when all of the apostles died, that miracles, in fact, no longer exist. And the best that we can hope for is for our salvation as if that wasn't a miracle in itself the greatest miracle on the planet, one lost soul coming back into the kingdom of God. And, and, and so they're called cessationists, that they believe that miracles are no longer relevant or necessary. Well, you just need to know today that we're in God's house and he's serving up a feast through his servant today and that God's word is his heavenly menu. And the last time I checked, every single miracle on the menu is still available for every single believer in this room today. And so you can pray for it. You can believe for it and you can expect it. Why? Because God still says you can order miracles and you can believe for the supernatural in your life. Now, I wish that it was as easy as simply ordering it and receiving it. But how many of us know sometimes there's a battle for the miraculous? There's a battle for our breakthrough. There is a battle for the things that we are contending for in our lives. God has not called you as a believer to become a professional explainer as why God didn't move or God didn't do something. 
But in the absence of miracles and in the absence of the supernatural, often what we do is we try and justify and explain why something hasn't happened. Very few of us actually understand or are willing to embrace the mysteries of God. There are some things we will not understand this side of eternity. There are some things we will not have answers for the questions that we have. But God hasn't asked you and I to justify the absence of something or become a professional explainer of something. He asked us to contend in faith for the miraculous and for the supernatural and at the end of the day, leave the outcomes to him. You see, we are called to be practical demonstrators of the kingdom of God, not professional explainers of the absence of something. You see, in 1 Corinthians 2.4, Paul said, My speech and message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Jesus said in Matthew 12.28, If it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. We want lost people all around us to taste and see that God is good, but we're not willing to give them a sample of his miraculous power and, and, and a demonstration of the kingdom of God and of who he is. Ever been in a grocery store or supermarket where they give you food samples of different foods? You, you could just put on weight, just go into supermarkets, just eating food samples. And yet the church often hides the supernatural away from people who are hungry and searching. This is what I found. In the absence of clean water, people who are hungry and thirsty will still go searching for water and they'll be prepared to drink dirty water, unclean water of the world and all sorts of spiritual uh, uh, influences of a dark and demonic origin. Why? Because we've been hardwired for the supernatural. We've been hardwired for signs and wonders. We've been hardwired to actually connect with and engage with a supernatural God. And if we, as the stakeholders and shareholders of the kingdom of God, don't give the world a sample of the power of the Holy Spirit, people will go elsewhere and be prepared to drink all manner of dirty water just to satisfy the thirst and the cry that's in their heart. Someone once said, miracles are the dinner bell of salvation. Miracles are the dinner bell of salvation. We wonder why more people aren't getting saved in the Western context. And part of it is because there, there isn't enough supernatural, miraculous activity. Because often the breakthroughs in church evangelism and harvest and growth is not the miracles, first of all, starting in the four walls of the church. It's Acts chapter 3, the miracles were taken to the streets. And people in their relationships, in their everyday lives, started to see the miraculous break out. And then often we see it take place in the life of the church. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. You've got to risk it for the biscuit. If you want to eat of the biscuit, of the bread of life, and you want to see the power of God break out in your life, you've got to be prepared to look like a fool. You've got to be prepared to fail. And you've got to be prepared to risk it and not let that cause you to be discouraged or set you back. But keep believing, keep praying, keep going after it. I just believe in just praying for more sick people. The odds are you're going to strike one and have a healing somewhere along the way. 
Some of us pray once and we don't see it happen and we step back. Pray twice, pray 10 times, don't see it happen. Well, this thing doesn't work. You don't try tithing once and if you don't get a return, you give up. You tithe and you tithe and you tithe and you pray and you pray and you pray and you believe and you believe and you believe, not as a works mentality to attain a certain outcome, but because you, got, you know that God rewards faith. He rewards faith and sometimes it's through faith and patience that we inherit the kingdom of God and that we see the breakthroughs and the miraculouses and the promises of God actually come to pass in our lives. You see, the problem with a powerless church, the problem with powerless Christianity is it presents to the world an inferior view of who God is. And one of your primary responsibilities as a believer is to represent Jesus authentically. Not as a performance, not as a religious duty, but as an act of love. As an act of absolute congruency, integrity and authenticity of the God that we worship and we serve and that we follow. One of my primary responsibilities as a spiritual leader of this house is to present to you and to the world around us with you a brilliant view of who God is in all of his glory, in all of his purity, in all of his power. The problem is the world is no longer looking at the modern church for answers to their questions. They're looking at all sorts of gurus and and talk show hosts and celebrities and, you know, uh, uh, corporate companies for answers to their questions. And yet in this passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 3, we see this lame beggar actually looking to Peter and John, expecting to receive something from them. I bet that he was expecting to receive money from them to meet his daily needs. But Peter and John had something greater than just material possessions to meet his daily need. If they gave him money, it would have met his need for that day. But they wanted to give him something that was going to meet his need for all eternity. They wanted to give him something that would actually satisfy the thirst and the cry in his heart not just meet the practical need that he faces in his life. You see, I think one of the reasons why the culture is no longer looking to the church, expecting to receive something from us, is because of 2 Timothy 3.5. Paul said to Timothy, in the last days, that people will have a form of godliness or the appearance of godliness, but deny the power of godliness. Could it be that the church has served up to the world a form of godliness, but not actually carried the power of godliness? We've engaged in religion, which always is about appearance management and the form of things, but we haven't really connected to the heart of relationship with Jesus, which fuels power in our life. Religion will always fuel form, but relationship fuels power. How do you know the difference between form and power, form and substance? The the short answer is you shall know them by their fruit. The fruit you produce is determined by the source you're connected to. Let me say that again. The fruit you produce in your life is determined by the source you're connected to. If there's no fruit of supernatural activity in our lives or around us, we're going to check the source of what we're connected to. Are we more connected to religion than we are relationship? 
because the fruit you produce is determined by the source that you're connected to. You can see form even in things like athletics or in the natural. You know, a a bodybuilder looks like they have the form. But often, if you know anything about physiology or fitness or health, you'll know that whilst many bodybuilders or athletes look like they are Ferraris, and in fact, many of them have Volkswagen engines, if you know what I'm talking about. And, And people who've been in the fitness industry will understand this. Because sport or athletes understand something called power to weight ratio. And an Olympic weightlifter at the Olympic Games often does not look like they have the form. They often look maybe a little bit unhealthy or maybe they're quite small or, or, or whatever it may be. But those Olympic weightlifters can actually lift two and a half times their body weight in one single movement over their head because one in the gym has form, but the other on the platform has power. It's a fundamental difference. And often in church life, we engage in the form. And the form is good as long as it's fueled by relationship. But where the power comes to really transform people's lives comes back to our approach to our intimacy with God. The goal of Christianity is not that we would be well-respected citizens in our culture, even though that's an honourable thing. The goal of Christianity, Matthew 6, 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Any cursory reading of the uh, Gospels or of the book of Acts will tell you that pretty soon Christians and the early church who moved in the power of the Holy Spirit were not always the most popular, well-respected citizens of their towns and their cities. Often they were persecuted. Often they were despised. Why? The Pharisees said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. We're supposed to to right the wrongs of injustice in our culture and society. We're supposed to bring light where there is darkness. We're supposed to bring transformation where that is needed. And that is not going to happen through religion or the form of Christianity. It's going to happen through the power of the Holy Spirit in people's lives, practiced every day, everywhere we go. Many believers justify powerlessness Because they believe the lie that when I become a better Christian, I will have more power accessible to me. As if power or gifts of the Spirit were a reward for good behaviour. The last time I checked, the gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit is not a reward for good behaviour. It's a reward of faith. It's not a choice between character and power. It's not a choice between the the fruit of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit. And what a lot of believers do in false humility is they say, you know what, well, you know, I'm not too sure about all that power stuff, all that, you know, gift stuff, supernatural stuff, that seems inaccessible to me. I just want to be a person of character. And I want to be a person of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. But it almost sounds to me like a bit of false humility or a justification for not moving in the power of God. Listen, in the kingdom of God, you have access 
access to both. You can be Christ-like in your character, but filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You can demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit, grow and develop the fruits of the Spirit in your life in partnership with the power of the Spirit, but you can also move in signs and wonders, words and knowledge, prophecy, casting out devils, seeing people empowered with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. All of these things are available to you. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14.1, pursue love. That's the first priority because everything we do is going to be fueled by love. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. We begin with the right motivation, but the outcome of the right motivation is power to transform the world. You see, the solution to powerless Christianity is to pray and ask God to give you two things. The first thing is faith, and the second thing is power to obey. How do you grow in more power in the Spirit? You ask God, you pray, and you ask God to fill you with faith in the name of Jesus and to fill you with power to obey. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have to this lame beggar. But what I do have, I give you. Can't give you something that I don't own. What I do have, I give you. What do you have, Peter? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. In the name of Jesus. You can say that name, but it's a difference between saying that name as a curse word, saying that name as an historical word, but saying that name with faith. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. I just feel good saying that. Somebody could just get up today and start walking in Jesus' name. You know, we say, well, isn't it enough that I just believe in Jesus? Have a revelation of who Jesus is. What's a good start? Very good start. But Peter, pre-Pentecost now... What's Pentecost? The day the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh. The early church was birthed. Peter, pre-Pentecost, believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He believed in the power of the name of Jesus. He had a revelation. Matthew 16, Jesus said, who do people say that I am? They say, some say this, some say that. He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter had that revelation. But revelation alone isn't enough apparently because Peter pre-Pentecost still denied Jesus as his Lord and Saviour. He denied that he even knew him. So apparently revelation is a good start, but it's not enough. That's why in Luke 24, Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. You can believe in Jesus, but you need power. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need your heart to plug into the power socket of the Holy Spirit so that you can be activated and awakened in all that God has called you to do. Peter on the day of Pentecost was a very different Peter to Peter in the Gospels. Peter on the day of Pentecost was bold. Peter on the day of Pentecost stood and he preached the word and 3,000 people were added to the church on that day because it's not just faith, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. 
that we need in all of our lives. Two things every believer in this room must own. You must own faith in Jesus' name and you must own and receive power from the Holy Spirit. We need it. We can't do our lives. We can't follow Jesus without it. You can't give away what you don't own for yourself. Paul said it like this in uh, Romans 15, 18. He said, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. What is he saying? He's saying, I can't impart what I haven't been transformed by. I can't actually lead you into a breakthrough that I haven't walked in a breakthrough in. I can't impart a revelation that I haven't received for myself. Peter's like, there are things that I can't give you to this sick man at the gate beautiful, but there's something I can give you. It's faith in Jesus' name and it's the power of the Holy Spirit to heal your sick body. How do you increase faith and power? How do you grow in faith in Jesus' name and how do you grow in the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, firstly, you've got to dig into God's Word until you find gold. You've got to dig and you've got to dig because the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Not just reading it, but that rhema-inspired Word. Let's be a people of the Word. Let's be a people of the truth. Let's be a people of the sword of the Spirit. You want to fight the enemy? The sword of the Spirit. You cannot compete with Satan in your own strength. You cannot compete with the forces of darkness in your own capacity. But I tell you what, when someone who knows their God, they shall be strong and do mighty exploits. When you know the truth of God's Word, when you know the sword of God's Spirit, you dig and you dig, faith comes, the gift of faith comes through that rhema-inspired Word. And when you face something, you open up your sword, you take the sword out of its sheath and you start to beat up the old hair leg one. You start to beat him up and you start to go after him and you start to take authority over every attack upon his life. Why? Because there is power in the truth of God's word. How do you increase in the power of the Holy Spirit? You pray until you strike oil. You dig until you find gold in the Word and you pray until you strike oil. What were Peter and John doing when they healed this lame beggar? If you read the context, they were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. In other words, prayer was their lifestyle, not an event. And I know that we hear it a lot, but I want to ask you, how's your prayer life going? We talked about prayer fuels power just a few weeks ago. Don't drop off the gospel train. Stay back on. Punch your ticket and get to the prayer meeting. Turn up every day to your appointment with God. Get your prayer chair. Create that prayer space. Get into an atmosphere and environment. Because when you pray until you strike oil, all of a sudden the power of the anointing of God's Spirit starts to flow in your life and work through you in a powerful way. You dig until you find gold. You pray until you strike oil. And you obey until you see the miracle. You obey until you see the miracle. John Wimber, the great father of the faith of the vineyard movement, died many years ago, but he said that before he had a healing ministry, 
that was well known all across the earth. He would pray for hundreds and hundreds of people with no recorded testimony of anyone being healed. He had more of what he called an anti-healing ministry. If you ever pray for someone, you just feel like, I don't have the healing gift, I have the anti-healing gift. <laughs> I, I've, I've been there once or twice. And, and you sort of feel like, you know, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm stepping back from this. this. This isn't working. Or the person, you know, who wants to move in prophecy and they have the anti-prophecy gift. This, this is not helpful. This is causing confusion, not clarity. Sometimes you can feel like that. Like it's not working. I mean, this is what the Word says and this is what I want and this is what I feel, but it's not working. But John Wimber said he just kept praying, he just kept praying and he just kept believing and he kept obeying what God was telling him to do until he saw the miracle. And after that first person got healed, he said every single person after that he prayed for just got healed miraculously by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thousands upon thousands of people. How much is it going to take for you to give up and quit and walk away from the front line of signs and wonders? What is it that's going to cause you to step back and walk away? Many are called, few are chosen. The few that are chosen just keep praying. They just keep digging. They just keep seeking. They just keep obeying until they see the miracle. I don't care how long it takes. God's got all of eternity. I'm just going to keep praying. I'm going to keep digging. I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to keep obeying until we see revival come to this land in Jesus' name. Trials may come and trials may go. The tithes may come in, the tithes may go out. But all I know is that He is faithful and He is just and He is righteous. And if you just get a spirit of faith, a persevering spirit that says, I'm going after this no matter who is or who isn't, I tell you, God sees that and He says, here you go. Here's fruit, here's signs and wonders, here's miracle. Why? Because God is attracted to faith. The chief obstacle to a supernatural life then is to live vicariously through somebody else's experience of God and not have your own. It's to actually say, well, the pastor's got the faith and the pastor's got the revelation, therefore I can live through that. No, God has given every single believer in this room access into the kingdom of God. You have access to the gifts of the Holy Spirit You have access into a miracle-working lifestyle. And Peter understood this because there came a point where what Peter had witnessed in Jesus' ministry had to become what Peter practiced in his own ministry. The Bible says Peter took this lame beggar by the right hand. And he, that's my left, right. And he lifted him up. He lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. In other words, where do you think Peter had learnt to do that? Did, did, did he just, that come to him in that moment? Well, it's a very practical, common sense thing to do. But I reckon it was in the three and a half years of following Jesus around, he saw Jesus grab people and lift them up. And immediately the power of God would come into their bodies. You see, what Peter witnessed had to become what Peter practiced because if all of our experience of God is vicariously living through somebody else's relationship with God, we're not going to own what we need to own to pass on what we need to pass on. The power wasn't Peter's. The power was the Holy Spirit's. But the hand was Peter's. See, often we want God to even extend the hand. God says, no, I live in you. Your body is my temple. I live in you. 
And as we grow closer to God, we hear his voice. We, we are prompted by the Holy Spirit to do things. And as we step out in obedience, all of a sudden, the power of God meets our obedience, uh, 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 an action of faith, and we begin to see the supernatural break out. You see, culture says, keep your faith private. Your workplace will say to you, keep your faith private. But the kingdom of God says, take your faith public. What a novel idea. It's like, it's so countercultural. That's why it's kingdom culture. Take your faith public. Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power when the... Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, someone once said, if, if you're not an eyewitness, you're a false witness. And we're called to witness to the power of God in our own lives. When I was in the police force 20 years ago, you go to a crime scene, gather evidence and information, you talk to people, and nine out of 10 people you realize never saw anything. They just want to be a part of the excitement. And so they tell you things and you work out pretty soon. None of these stories match up. Why? Because they heard something that somebody else saw. They didn't see it for themselves. And sometimes we can be hearsay witnesses in the kingdom of God where we simply heard somebody else. And that may be a good starting point. But today, why don't you take the step of faith, cross the line and become an eyewitness to the power of God at work in your life, not just an hearsay witness of something that you heard on a platform or that you read in a book. If there is a lack of power in our lives, it's never a lack on God's end. It's always a lack on ours. And that's not to condemn us, but I tell you what, it's a challenge and it compels us to actually posture ourselves in a place where we say, God, where is your power in my life? Where is your power in this city? I'm not content to follow an imitation of who Jesus is. I want the real Jesus in my life, in this church, in your life, in your family, in your workplace, but you've got to contend for it. You've got to posture for it. How do you move in the power of God? Well, Peter said it so aptly in verse 16 when he said, it's by faith in Jesus' name. This name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. You see, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, when you have a revelation of who Jesus is, and you begin to exercise your faith in Jesus' name, more miracles start coming. More things start happening. It's not that some people are more respected by God than others. God's no respecter of persons. He's a respecter of the principle of faith. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith in the earth? Maybe the reason why there's so few miracles is because we've got more faith in the sickness than we do in Jesus' name. We got more faith in the C word, cancer, than we do in the power of the name of Jesus. We got more faith in the name of the preacher or the pastor than we do in the name of Jesus. But when you get your eyes off all of the other names and realize there's coming a day where every knee should bow and every tongue shall confess the name that is above every other name. 
All of a sudden, things begin to change in the supernatural realm around you. I even feel it now. The power of the Holy Spirit is in this room to heal and to minister to people. Mark 16, 17 says, These signs will follow those who believe. In my name, not my name, Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, they will heal the sick, cast out devils, speak in new tongues. The one basic requirement of every single person who approaches God throughout all of the Bible, from the father of faith, Abraham, right through to John on the Isle of Patmos, the one basic requirement is faith. Not good works, as good as that is. Faith will have corresponding works, but it comes back to your faith. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please God. A believer without faith is like an employee without an access code. Ever been locked out of your work? It happens to me all the time because I forget my fob. <laughs> I've got it on me today, just in case they all lock me out. I forget my access code. If I don't have my access code, I'm not getting access onto the property. Faith is the believer's access code. If you don't walk in faith, the kingdom of heaven is shut off. It's not that God wants, doesn't want to give it. He wants, but it requires faith. So I'm going to bring my faith to the need. I'm going to bring my faith. I'm going to bring the access code to the situation and the thing that I am struggling with, you have an access code in the supernatural realm. It's called faith in Jesus' name. I tell you what, there is power in the name of Jesus. The Bible says in John 14, 13, whatever, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. I remember, I don't have time to go into this story, but I remember being called at 1am in the morning, turn up to a house. There was someone in the creative team who was, you know, manifesting demonic stuff. And I said, it's always a creative team. And so I turned up. I love our creative team. So I turned up and started to, I walked through the front door of the house and I heard this voice, not the person's voice that I was coming to minister to, the person who was trying to minister to them opened the door to me and I rolled up and I put one foot in the front door and this voice said, don't bother, Corey, we're not going anywhere. And I said to the person, well, at least I know I'm in the right place. <laughs> and we walked in. Why? Because when you get a revelation of the power of the name of Jesus, no demon in hell can scare you. One of the marks of being filled with the Holy Spirit is holy boldness and authority that comes upon your life. And we walked through and began to minister. And what was taking hours took about 10 minutes. And that young man now is a pastor in a local church who God has used powerfully and mightily to raise up the next generation. Why? Because there's power in the name of Jesus to set people free and to heal people. And I tell you, if you feel challenged today, don't receive it as condemnation. See it as God calling you, inviting you. It's time for an upgrade. I declare war on comfortable Christianity. I declare war on comfortable Numa Church. It's time for Numa Church, this sleeping giant, to rise up in the power of the Holy Spirit with faith in Jesus' name and see demons tremble and sicknesses bow and the kingdom of God extend and advance. This is normal Christianity. 
This is where miracles are normal. This is what God has called us to. I want to invite you to stand with me on your feet today. Good. I agree with that too. You know, there are 50 names that are connected to the name of Jesus. 50 different ways of describing who Jesus is. One of those names is Almighty One. Another one is Alpha and Omega, Advocate, Author and Perfecter of our faith, Authority, Bread of Life, Beloved Son of God, Bridegroom, Chief Cornerstone, Deliverer, Faithful and True, Good Shepherd, Great High Priest, Head of the Church, Holy Servant, The Great I Am, Emmanuel, indescribable gift, judge, king of kings, lamb of God, light of the world, lion of the tribe of Judah, Lord of all, mediator, Messiah, mighty one, one who sets free our hope, peace, prophet, redeemer, risen Lord, rock, sacrifice for our sins, saviour, son of man, son of the most high, supreme creator of all, resurrection and the life, the door, the way, the word, the true vine, the truth, the victorious one, the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. There is power in the name of Jesus if you believe it today. Come on, all across this room right now. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.